Welcome back to Don't Call It a Book Club. My name's Luke. My name is Daniel. And today... And... Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, Luke. We're both too excited. Yeah, and today we have a special guest on. We've got Mike Shell, the author of Aching God On. Mike, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks a bunch, Mike. Before we get to any other questions, Luke and I have... Uh, kind of a disagreement that we need you to settle, kind of a debate, and we need to know where you stand. So in Aching God, Arik gets a really cool sword and has a discussion about naming swords. So under what circumstances would you name your sword? If it talked to me. <laughs> okay. What... I mean, would it have to say anything in particular? No, it would, no. Anything, you know, you could say I'm gassy. That would impress me <laughs> enough to, you know, to, to say, think that it needed a name. Okay, and would you ask it then what it should be named, or would you then just name it? I guess it would depend on whether I thought it was a pet or a, a sentient being that uh, I needed to have some respect for. Which is not to suggest that I don't think that pets are sentient beings that we should have respect. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Although we do name pets, so it seems fine. I was going to ask, I'm going to be, you know, attacked by PETA representatives as soon as this goes. <laughs> That's okay. If you listen to our Lies of Locke Lamora episode, we're definitely not in their good graces. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good, good plug there, Dan. Um, <laughs> so, okay. Just to, just as kind of a, you know, introductory question. I guess, Mike, uh, do you have do you have an idea on? Let's say you were writing a fantasy novel where you were a character. Uh, how would you How would you introduce yourself? Do you think this is this is more of you know you can give your background on getting into fantasy writing or that kind of thing, or you could or you could go much more fantasy related if you wanted to. Okay, um, rather than be creative. I guess I'll tell you the truth. Um, I uh, I'd always wanted to write. I mean, I remember being in as a as a early adolescent writing stories, and actually probably started about the fifth or sixth grade. And uh, you know, had loved writing and loved reading. And when time came to choose a major, uh, I decided that there was no way that I was going to be able to make a living uh, as as a writer. I needed to do something practical, um, so instead I got a bachelor's degree in, in psychology, uh, which is uh, nearly useless. Um, <laughs> I guess you could wait tables with, with the degree, or you could go to graduate school. Um, right. I, uh, I worked for a while in, uh, in psychiatry. I, I, I was an inpatient uh, psych tech on uh, inpatient psychiatric units. Uh, for a few years before uh, going to graduate school in clinical psychology. Uh, just before getting uh, into graduate school, I wrote a couple of uh, adventures for Dungeon Magazine, which was the, uh, the way that uh, amateurs got, uh, got their adventures for Dungeons & Dragons published back in the day. Um, and uh, after doing that, got into graduate school and... Um, got my degree and had been working as a psychotherapist for for many years and uh 
one day was kind of curious about if anything was on the internet about the adventures I had written, um, because, uh, you know, at the time I wrote them, there was no such thing as the internet. And I got on and found that one of them turned out to be one of the most popular, uh, adventures that had been written for the magazine. And, uh, that Paizo Publishing, who, uh, do Pathfinder role-playing game had, uh, done a revision of it based on the newer rules and i ended up getting in touch with them uh and started writing uh rpg stuff for them in uh, about 2010 and uh at a certain point after doing that for them for a while i, I got the idea that maybe i could uh try to write a novel and uh and did that's my elevator pitch assuming that uh we're stuck between floors i guess <laughs> Nice. That's great. I mean, I'm I'm glad you took that that arc so that you could write Aiken God for us. It was we we just finished it um, and recorded the last episode of it yesterday, and we both really enjoyed it. And I know that you are one of the finalists for SPFBL or Spiffbell. Um, can you you know? Can you tell us what that's what that experience has been like? Uh, very, very uh, good. Um, Spiffbo, I don't know if you've you've talked to your listeners about that before. Uh, it's uh, it stands for uh, self publishing fantasy blog off. It's something started by uh, traditional fantasy author Mark Lawrence, uh, who wrote a book of the ancestor uh, among uh-huh. others, and uh, to, as a way to get more attention to self published uh, fantasy authors. This is, I believe, the fourth year it's happening, and there are 300 entries and uh, 10 blog uh, review blogs uh, chose among the 300 and, and picked 10 finalists. And so uh, a lot of really interesting uh, uh, stuff there, really, really excellent writers, people who who are, are really gifted storytellers. Uh and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, su- there's a lot of surprise and randomness to, to how people end up as a finalist, but I ended up in that final 10 and, uh, we're in the midst of getting scored by all the blogs now to see who the winner is. But I've met a lot of other writers this way, uh, indie writers, which and obviously writing can be a pretty solitary activity. So it's, it's really rewarding to, to hook up with, uh, other people who are, are engaged in the same activity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, congratulations on getting to the final and good luck in the the final judging. Um, if our, you know, if our experience of reading Aiken God is anything, I think, yeah, I think it was pretty good. So I'd vote for you. <laughs> we'll, we'll tell our legions of listeners to advocate for you. Um. Awesome. <laughs> Unfortunately, the only people's votes who counter the blogs. So at this point, so uh, your well wishes are, are, are certainly appreciated anyway. <laughs> That's a nice way of saying our votes don't matter. I appreciate that, Mike. That's exactly what that means. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about your arc in writing Aching God, as Luke mentioned earlier, you have this background in psychology and working with people who are suffering from anxiety and uh, like grief 
And that really came out in Arik's character. It seemed like that was, I mean, part of the struggle of the book is returning the gem. And that's the, you know, the main plot. But it seemed like the bigger sub-narrative of the book was, you know, Arik's psyche and Arik kind of coming to grips with his past. So how much, how much does your background influence your writing of Arik and... Uh, yeah, I guess we'll start there. Okay, I think it was a pretty a pretty huge factor. Um, you know, one of the things that I've always wanted to see more in fantasy is kind of a realistic portrayal of the effects of trauma. When you think of the kind of things that that people in fantasy novels are exposed to, uh, they're they're pretty horrific. And knowing. Uh, the impact that that trauma has on on people in their lives, and my specific area, you know, I'm a generalist and in, in working in, in uh, as a psychotherapist, but my specific area of expertise is uh, anxiety and panic. So, having worked with a lot of survivors of trauma and, and people who have struggled with anxiety, I wanted to portray that in a fantasy story. Um, at the same time, you know, I I. I wanted to have an unmitigated uh, good guy, uh, although you guys uh, uh, weren't, uh, or, you know, have, have suggested that Park might be a sociopath. I, I assume we'll talk about that more later. But uh, I wanted to write a story about a good guy who is really struggling with uh, with his demons. I mean, when you talk about these things that these fantasy characters have seen, that was something else that I noticed very early on is your descriptions of these horrific injuries that people are sustaining in you know going through these Jiao temples are really vivid to the point where reading it i felt uncomfortable because of how i mean just hearing people getting their heads ripped off and their entrails spilling out was very jarring and i think i mean that makes a lot of sense in terms of the trauma that Arik would experience given that mm-hmm yeah, I, I, you're thinking of a show like uh, The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. They they don't really, you know, thinking about how amazingly traumatic what these people are experiencing is. I don't think that they portray enough the the, the impact of that. I mean, I think you see it in isolation here and there, but in a lot of ways, it's it's more like a cartoon than it is mm-hmm. a realistic portrayal of the impact of trauma. So. You know, maybe it's maybe it's a silly, uh, uh, silly endeavor to try to to bring uh, this kind of realism to fantasy. But you know, I was writing something that I wanted to I wanted to read. Yeah, I mean, it definitely your I guess background in this definitely came out because I you know reading these scenes and Arik's memories and his you know panic and terror just. I guess was so real that I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd had read that in really a fantasy novel before where I was so absorbed in, I guess, just the terror of what they were experienced. So I, I could definitely see um, where your experience helped a lot with that. That uh, is real. I, I mean, maybe it's strange for me to say it's good to hear that, but <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I was going for. So that's gratifying to hear that, you know, that was so visceral for you yeah yeah it definitely was something that i mean you said 
your background has influenced how you wrote Arik, but something I find really interesting is the analog in this world for basically a psychotherapist, um, at least who I see as the analog for that in this world, are the sin eaters. So is there a reason why you wrote basically yourself in this book as a gross, dirty, <laughs> dirty person? I wouldn't. Uh, actually, I would think of Bellic and Sira as being more, uh, playing the more the role of, of psychotherapist. Uh you know, I I would see the sin eaters more as just the confessional priests, where I just kind of vomit forth whatever <laughs> ugly stuff is inside, and they, you know, they, in essence, take it away. It really isn't described in the book uh, what what it is. The scene, what that whole sacrament is about, and what the purpose of it is. Uh, but I, I'm not sure you're aware that the next book, which I'm actually in the midst of doing a big editorial pass on is is called sin eater so the book two right. is book, book two carries some of that uh, that idea of sin and forgiveness and and uh, mm. guilt uh further so yeah i don't see i don't see the sin eater as a psychotherapist uh at all because <laughs> in fact the sin eater in in aching god is kind of a dick <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i i guess that's true that I guess that was kind of why I was curious. I mean, when I had made the connection there, but I think you definitely made the good point that the sin eater is definitely much more confessional rather than healing. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to keep us on kind of, kind of not getting quite into the book, but more on your experience with self-publishing. So first I'm going to, I'm going to read a quote by one of my favorite artists. Uh, that's J. Cole, the rapper. Uh, no role models, and I'm here right now. No role models to speak of. Searching through my memory, I couldn't find one. Uh, I'm wondering, was, was this kind of thing your experience in self-publishing, or did you kind of have someone to look up to and follow in their footsteps? Um... You know, I, part of part of uh, my decision to pursue self-publishing was about not having either the patience or the emotional fortitude to kind of uh, labor with up securing an agent and going through the submission process and and just doing all that kind of thing. I'm not someone who responds uh, real well to rejection. And I think that a traditionally published author has been through, you know, untold rivers of that. And so uh, I made the decision uh, actually after talking to someone at uh, one of the big five, an editor at one of the big fives, to go the self-publishing route because it would give me a little more control over, over what I was turning out. It would give me more control over the pace at which I was, I was publishing what I was doing. And just more control. Um, I definitely didn't do this on my own, though. I uh, ended up connecting with a group of self-publishing fantasy writers who uh, who got together uh, from one of the earlier Spiffbos through, uh, of all things, a Pathfinder role-playing game. Uh, some one of them had asked me about something I had written. Uh, well, actually, the, the module I had mentioned I wrote for Dungeon Magazine, he was converting it to Pathfinder for his home uh, group and uh, had contacted me a year before 
And uh, when I went back to kind of look at his profile, I saw you know, a link saying, uh, you know, check out here if you want to uh, see this, the fantasies I've written. And I go there, and this is, this is a, a very successful self-published fantasy author who uh, just uh, does, is, is a fantastic writer, prolific. And so hooking up with those uh, folks really helped walk me through a lot of the process of uh, what it takes to publish uh, on your own. So the idea of me doing this all myself, uh, not by a long shot. I, in addition to you know my, my wife being incredibly supportive and indulgent of the time that I've sunk into this, there are also lots of other people who are more than happy to offer their, their own wisdom and expertise that was just absolutely priceless uh, in this process for me. So I feel like I was lucky in that I started ahead of the game uh, a lot of people who are coming into self-publishing don't don't have the uh, the help that I did. Yeah, definitely. Um, so during our read through, we came up with several theories about Aching God, and throughout our our podcast, we are pretty much constantly coming up with theories that might not have explicit definition in the book. But there seems to be a lot of evidence about. And so I'm curious if you either heard something in one of our theories that uh, you maybe wish you had included in the book, or if you had heard a theory from somebody else uh, that you thought was really cool, or on the flip side, you've heard a theory that you think is just hilariously wrong about something that you've written, something that maybe somebody has come up with that is just so off the wall. Uh, and it's and it's fine if you mention one of Dan's theories I mean, in that it's... category. <laughs> sure. I think I I can't recall things in great detail, but I think at one point one of you was suggesting that maybe Oric was the aching god, or that some <laughs> yeah, something to that effect. Um, yeah, that was that was insane. Uh, <laughs> but it also gave me some ideas for a very different direction I could have taken the story. Um, if I wanted to stick strictly in kind of the psychological realm rather than really kind of follow the, the, the fantasy story that I had that, that those things were underpinning. So, uh, yeah, that was the, that's the one that comes to mind. <laughs> but what's and the, another thing is that I've had some other folks who have kind of guessed at where the story is going, uh, and, you know, I've made no comment about whether or not they were on target with it. But uh, this, you know, Aching God in a lot of ways just really sets up a much bigger story that's coming up. Yeah, yeah. This Okay, just for for anyone that's... We, we have recorded our third episode for this, but have not released it. So Mike has not heard our third episode yet either. And we have come up with some some theories... And I think you might put them in that category of being hilariously wrong. Um, but, you know, that's that's what we do. <laughs> or maybe they're extremely prophetic. <laughs> that is certainly possible. I don't know what they are, uh, but uh, I, I, I don't doubt that some people might have uh, picked up on the clues that I left lying around. Or maybe came up with a better idea than I did. Oh, we've we've certainly picked up on some pretty big clues, I think. I'm excited for you to hear our third episode, Mike. I'm excited to hear it, too. Um, this world just seems so 
effective as a Dungeons and Dragons kind of world. The idea that, I mean, they're going into a dungeon and they're forming this party. Um, when you were writing this, uh, and obviously you have experience with Dungeons and Dragons, were there ever any character actions that were basically somebody rolling a nat one or critting that you kind of thought of? Um, I didn't think of, of it in, in in those terms, in terms of the mechanics of, of a, mm-hmm. an RPG. Uh, mm-hmm. The influence of RPGs on, on the story, I think, is, is really obvious. And in truth, uh, the, uh, the main story uh, of Aching God was based on a module proposal that I, I put together for, for Paizo, for, for Pathfinder, that they turned down twice. Um, oh, their loss. Well, I know, I, you know, the, uh, Paizo had been really good to me, and they've got a really good sense of where they want to take their product line, mm. and it didn't fit into that. And frankly, I'm 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 grateful that they didn't take it because what I ended up uh, doing was creating my own world uh, for this story to be in, rather than the world of the Pathfinder role playing game, and. Uh, I had to file the serial numbers off just a couple of things that were, uh, you know, that were clearly uh, inspired by Pathfinder. Um, but uh, for the most part, uh, uh, yeah, this was designed as an RPG, the, the, the dungeon crawl, basically, and the backstory of the dungeon crawl. That was all going to be a part of this adventure. Um, one of the things that I've heard people comment about, though, uh, Esme Weatherwax is... Uh, is a, uh, a reviewer of books who, who's a favorite of mine who uh, uh, talked about how she was kind of really waiting for this dungeon crawl to happen. And if she had known that, you know, it was like the last 15 to 20% of the book that they're actually doing Dungeons and Dragons kinds of things, um, that she would have had a little more patience with, with the pace before that. Um, and, you know, when you think about it, I mean, who, uh, a, a 600 page book all set in a dungeon would be pretty tedious, I think. Uh, <laughs> and I wanted to build something that that kind of pushed beyond the whole RPG uh, uh, thing that 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 made a, a little more uh, of a full three dimensional world. So, uh yeah, this was this was obviously inspired by RPG, but I was hoping that I'd push beyond that. Uh, that you know, I think one uh, one negative review that I got, you know, talked about you know uh, uh, a scene being I can hear them rolling for initiative uh, as kind of a way to you know to take to take the piss out of it. Um, but you know, I was trying to to, to make something that was a little uh, beyond just a, just an RPG adventure. Right. Well. And I, I think you did a pretty good job with that in the sense that when I was reading the story, I wasn't thinking of how these characters are playing a role-playing game. I was thinking of how I would want to form a party with my friends and do something completely orthogonal to what this party had done. So in that sense, I felt like the world was really fleshed out in order that I could go off on a completely different quest or I could go off and do something completely different in the world that sounded really interesting, but these characters didn't necessarily do. So from that sense, I felt like you did a very good job with fleshing out the world. So Mike, we have, we've prepared a couple little, I guess, I guess we'll call them games to play. 
um, that are essentially kind of like interview questions. Um, and I'll just, so I'll talk about the first game. We're going to call it, we're calling it Mad King Mike. Okay. <laughs> and the setup for this is essentially, imagine you are in the position of the queen in Aching God, where, you know, you can do anything. You can do crazy punishments for people, or you can be really nice to people. And um, me and Dan are essentially going to act like petitioners. And we've got we've got a couple issues that we've got, and we've got a couple suggestions for how to handle those. Or you could come up with one on your own. Okay. Okay. I think <laughs> I think I understand. Yeah, I okay. think it'll make sense here in a second. Am I a hor- horrible undead monstrosity? You're whatever yeah, sure. you want to be. If if you would like to be, sure. I don't think I'd like to be that, but if you're saying like the queen, um, yeah, she she's. Uh, She's not making wise, carefully considered decisions. Right. <laughs> right. So if I'm okay, mad you, King Mike, I can I can I can do that. Yeah, I mean you can go you can go either way. You can be really wise or or go with your instinct. Your if you you know. Okay. I'll 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 bring up the first question. I'll I'll be the first petitioner. So, King Mike. Blacksmiths in my city have really started to only make weapons instead of really useful things like nails or horseshoes and that kind of thing. And this is really crippling our economy. I have two suggestions for how to deal with this. One, anyone making more than one weapon a week is forced to compete in a gladiator style tournament with other offending blacksmiths. Or option two, a reality show based on the Great Great British Bake Off that rewards the blacksmith that makes the best practical products in kind of a tournament style. Do you do you do you like either of those options, or 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 would you rather do a third option? Well, I guess we could uh, dismember the blacksmiths, <laughs> but I I would think that. Uh, we need these we need nails and horseshoes and and these mundane tedious items that need to be made um so uh i think um we should have some sort of uh contest where whoever produces the most uh usable nails each year gets some sort of uh uh reward um from uh, perhaps they get to marry your daughter all right yeah. So like, every year. Yeah. So you're gonna. Yeah, you're gonna need to get on. Uh, I'm hope. I'm hoping you got a large family because uh, you're gonna be marrying them off to uh, commoners uh, quite soon. Perfect. The uh, the somewhat benevolent, but not to the petitioner move. I like it. Well, at, at least you kept your hands, Duke Luke. Oh no, we're we're taking the hands too. Oh. Oh. All right. Devastating. Well, uh, Your Grace, it appears that the Aromancers have invited you for an afternoon of kite flying out on the open ocean. Um, And it seems in a competitive move, the Aquamancers have invited you to go surfing 
right in view of all of the Aromancers. Um, which invitation would you choose to accept, or which punishment would you dole out for their insolence to even ask you on such a frivolous endeavor? I think we probably have to burn both the Aromancers and the uh, Aquamancers with my Pyromancers. So, <laughs> uh, Indeed, Your Grace. That is very <laughs> wise. Shall we do it in front of all the commoners watching these festivities? Um, uh, no, that would be horrific. I don't want to cause any kind of trauma to my, uh, to my beloved people. The aristocrats, however, oh. so I've kind of, I got a picture of you, uh, Sir Dan, uh, uh, as a human kite, perhaps we just have, uh, one of my, uh, uh, one of my, uh, truth speakers, uh, flay your skin and then have the aromancers floated into the air that was the um, most disturbing thing i could think of on the spur of the moment <laughs> well your grace uh it seems i have an appointment on the other side of the continent but uh i will be back as quickly as possible to accommodate your needs uh good afternoon okay i've got you've taken my you've taken my hands but i've got one more petition so the harbors in this city and a lot of other cities in this fantasy world and other fantasy worlds are always packed with merchants and super just dirty cargo. And they're really messing with my sunset views. Could we maybe ban these merchants that are interfering with the ambiance? Sure. <laughs> that's, such a, that's such a great idea. Sir Luke, I want to give you this gift. They are some very finely made uh, velvet gloves with uh, gold thread. Uh, I'm not sure what you're going to be doing with that without hands. That's the irony of the gift. But uh, <laughs> sure, let's let's get rid of the merchants. Uh, wow. You are most wise, Your Grace. Uh, finally, before I go on my long trip to avoid any potential kite flying, I, I have one more uh, item on the agenda. Uh, we're, we're aware that you have the, the royal birthday coming up soon, and we are wondering, uh, from the furthest reaches of your kingdom, uh, which creatures shall we bring in to perform for this day, or which uh, decadencies will we bring in to be served to your people on this wonderful day? This most auspicious day. Uh, my my mother's homemade gnocchi, please. <laughs> I see, of course, Your Grace. That is most wise, most wise. A delicious meal for all will be had. Yeah. It's a, it's a <laughs> ricotta cheese rather than pe potato as the base. It's uh, oh, yeah. Oh, sounds, I've never heard of that. That, that sounds, sounds great. Yeah, yeah, most yeah. of the time they're done with potatoes. So, uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> All right, thanks for playing. I'm, I know that game was a little ridiculous, but but thanks thanks for humoring us and and playing it anyway. Um, I mean, welcome to the show, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, similar along those lines to the rulers having to come up with these kind of ridiculous, well, at least the ruler in this world coming up with ridiculous legislation about things. I was just curious if at any point you've thought about whether or not there's ghost legislation in place anywhere, 
because we've seen a lot of evidence that there are definitely ghosts in this world. And at some point, I imagine they've become a nuisance to people or something like that. Do you have any legislation that you've thought of for ghosts? <laughs> no. What my thinking is, is that uh, that uh, ghosts are going to be the result of extreme trauma mm. or something uh, continuing to tie uh, spirits to to the to the physical world, and uh, so you're not going to see that too terribly often. Um, uh, the Barrowlands, obviously, that's a place where that's going to be a whole lot more common than it is right. uh, in the rest of the world. <laughs> right, right, that makes sense. So it's a pretty rare occurrence then in most yeah. places with legislation. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so I, I've got a. So I've got a question on the Jiao language. And I, I think this has probably been talked about by other authors that have, you know, made a language. Um, I'm curious whether you have, like, how fully have you fleshed out that language? Um, and and is it is it really difficult to, like, create your own language? Uh, what's, what's tough about it is making it, uh, uh, sound like a unified language rather mm -hmm. than just random, uh, s syllables and strange words thrown together. Um, the, the Jiao, the, you know, there are different, different levels of Jiao, different, uh, and the, the, uh, the Jiao that you see spoken most of the time or that, that are, that's referenced most of the time is, uh, lesser Jiao, the things that are mm -hmm. written on their monuments for the most part. And uh, uh, what I found after a short time is that I need to start cataloging these words because <laughs> I'm, I'm using the same words more than once. So for consistency's sake, you know, I haven't worked it out as much as, you know, good God, I think, you know, HBO has got, uh, they're the folks doing Game of Thrones has got a whole Dothraki uh, lexicon, uh, you know, <laughs> a dictionary of Dothraki. Uh, I, I'm not, I haven't done anything as, as involved as that, but I've tried to maintain some, some, uh, consistency in the way, uh, I build these foreign mm -hmm. words. The smart move was to, if, if any error ever comes up, you've got the, you've got the backdrop of the pronunciation matters. So, <laughs> you know, just, if two words are the same, you could just say they're pronounced differently. <laughs> Authors always have back doors in a lot of the corners they, they end up painting themselves into. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so we were talking a little bit about ghosts, and one of the, I think, most interesting interactions that the party had with a ghost was when uh, Quintus Va Valick self-annihilates to prevent them from going into the temple or the cage of the aching or of aching god and so i'm curious if you have anything that makes you angry enough that you would self-annihilate so for example i wish i could self-annihilate every time someone points to snow as evidence that there is no global warming happening um <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i first of all i would i would and this is the way this is how pedantic I am, I would explain that Quintus Valak uh, was not angry. Uh, he was uh, he was hiding his 
is shameful uh, behavior, actually. But following along with what you said, people who say uh, nuclear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. People who say nuclear and also people who misuse the word literally. (laughs) That's literally the worst. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Okay, so we have one more game. Uh, that we'd like to play with you and you've probably heard of this game before uh it's called would you rather so we're going to ask you a series of would you rather questions built in the world of aching god so would you rather be a servant of the queen or of the duke that they met these two crazy (laughs) people (laughs) um i think honestly i'd rather be a servant of the duke because my guess is if you just steer clear uh, and uh, do everything you're told to do, you're going to be you're going to be fine. Uh, the queen is a horrible undead monstrosity, and God knows what what she's going to do on any at any given moment. So, yeah, I think uh, neither of them would be you know would be uh, in my top five uh, employment opportunities <laughs> in uh, in Hannifax. But uh, but I think if I had to choose, it would definitely be the Duke. Yeah, I I think I'm on on board with you. And plus, you know, the Duke seems very high risk, but high reward. Because you know, maybe one day he'll just give you a really impressive sword. That sounds great. And the, yeah, and uh, you know, I don't know. I guess he wasn't really nice to his wife, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, I think a slap across the face is is uh, preferable to uh, having your hands amputated. Um, so, yeah, I yeah. think that's fair. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. One another one. Would you rather have died in the first temple that Arik went to that he keeps flashing back to, or the second temple um, of the Aching God? Uh, the second, because at least those guys would have carried my body out. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And especially given the fact that there is an immortal soul component to this world, the immortal souls of those people probably got out of the second temple. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope so. Yeah. Um, okay, would you rather have a manticore from Aching God or a direwolf from the game of thrones universe as a pet or would you rather have something else for a pet that's not a dragon because everybody would have a dragon for a pet if they could um i would pick the direwolf for a pet the manticores are well they they're probably be a lot more upkeep in terms of feeding <laughs> and well i think they look they look a lot more unsettling than a, than a big wolf would you know, yeah. this line with a human, you know, distorted human face just kind of would be a turnoff for me, I think. Okay, yeah. Not really the cute aspect that you're looking for. Looking more for that cute thing. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, here's, here's a hard-hitting question. Would you rather be a pyromancer that cannot step on land or an aeromancer that can't eat anything using their hands? What? (laughs) Uh, 
I don't, Jesus, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of question is that? What kind of show am I on right now? He's conflicted. (laughs) I don't know. I guess a a pyromancer who can't, or an aeromancer who couldn't eat anything with his hands. Yeah, so he has to use, he has to create wind to, you know, lift up his food. Well, or just put your mouth in. Dog bowl kind of a thing. Yeah. Go that way, too. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew that was going to be a tough one. Yeah, boy. <laughs> Mike, do you have any questions for us after listening to the, the first two episodes that we've done? Any? Do you have any uh, additional information maybe you want to bolster some of our theories with or any other kind of comments that you have for us? Um, I actually, uh, you know... Well, I'm at a disadvantage because I haven't heard the third episode yet. So I don't know where you guys landed on Auric, whether you still think he's a sociopath. We we acknowledged, in terms of Auric and his sword, I think we acknowledged all of our mistakes and and have and have praised Auric and and I forget the sword's name, but I th- yeah, I think we're still a little bit hard on Arik, but we definitely aren't on the side of Arik being a sociopath anymore. <laughs> okay, here's here's the thing. I think this has is due in part to the fact that you two are young fellows, and uh, and and you're harsher because uh, you you uh, you're not appreciating uh, Arik's uh, weariness with the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair point. Mm-hmm. So he's just jaded. He's not a sociopath. No, he's not, he's not a sociopath. <laughs> I mean, I think you you were you were uh, citing the that when he uh, he's when Ubrin gets uh, killed at the uh-huh. priory as an indication of sociopathy. <laughs> and uh, I think that I think that answer that that really does have more to do with the sword and not understanding the power of the sword at that point because it hadn't really been demonstrated up to that point oh right right for sure although interesting choice of words saying that yurik was killed not or yeah yurik was killed not murdered (laughs) ubrin sorry yes interesting choice of words that ubrin was killed seemingly out of nowhere and not murdered by arik yeah (laughs) I, yeah, I think we we didn't we didn't know that um, you had studied psychology. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, if you can so tell, neither Luke you, nor I studied psychology. You're, you're throwing around the psychological terms loose and uh, loose and uh, loosey goosey the whole time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, feel feel free to completely school us and and uh, you know all of that. We. <laughs> We're we're completely fine with some constructive criticism on those kind of things. <laughs> it it actually was it was a lot of fun listening to you guys uh, banter about it. One of the things that you know, this this might sound like bullshit, <laughs> but uh, you have to understand that two years ago, the idea that I would be talking with someone about a novel I had written is so surreal. And it's for me, it's thrilling that that you guys have, you know, put in the amount of thought that you have to this thing that I that I wrote. So, um, uh, 
you know, get, I get a kick out of people thinking about this and, and kind of trying to piece things together and, and picking up on some of the subtleties that I tried to weave into the story. It's, it's incredibly rewarding for a writer to have people who are investing their thought time in, in what, uh, what we're doing. Um, you know, I know that there's some writers, uh, who say, well, I don't, I don't read any of my reviews or, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not writing because I want people to read me. I ha- I'm writing cause I have to write. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> if you say so, um, I'm, I'm very much want to hear what people think of what I'm, I'm doing. And, uh, there were a few times along the, along the way, like the, uh, the fight in the, uh, at the, uh, when, uh, Naeus and Bellic are uh, in that brawl at the uh, the tavern. I thought, you know, I really, I really, if I had a chance to rewrite that after hearing you guys talk about it, I would. Um, you know, looking back, yeah, he was a little quick, quick on the draw there. <laughs> but that wasn't what I what I intended. So I, you know, um, and it's 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 a fascinating thing to hear to hear people. You know, I, I, you guys are uh, a time zone away from me, you know, talking about this and knowing that, you know, I've talked with, uh, I've had conversation with someone uh, in India and, uh, and you know, Europe, uh, in Europe and, uh, and China about this. That's, it's just, it's really gratifying uh, for a writer to have that, that kind of interaction with, uh, with people who have read your stuff. Yeah, I, I imagine so. And I mean, you know, we're, we, we talk a lot about super s- stupid details and riff on nonsense, but, um, you know, we easily got three hours of, co- of content talking about your book and could have done a ton more. So, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that we were, we were able to read your book and, and I don't know, I think we had a lot of fun reading it and talking about it. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Definitely. Well, Mike, so as we're starting to wrap up here, the interview, is there anything that you want to plug, anything you have coming out? We've already talked about Spiffbo a little bit, um, but is there anything else that you'd like to talk about to our listeners? I don't have a definite release date for the the sequel to Aching God. I'm thinking it's going to be sometime around the middle of May, but it is called uh, Sin Eater, and... uh, it uh, is also going to be released in audiobook format, too, with uh, Simon Vance as the narrator. Uh, Simon Vance narrated the, uh, th- to the uh, audiobook version of Aching God as well. It just does a magnificent job. Really just thrilled with, with his narration. And he's going to be doing uh, the next book as well. Uh, and hopefully that's going to be released um, a couple of months maybe after uh, the book is released. So if anyone's interested in, in getting news on that, I've got a newsletter you can sign up for at my website, mikeshell.com. And that's one L for shell. Uh, and, uh, I'm also on Twitter. Uh, I think Mike shell author, um, those would be the places to kind of see that happen. And of course, Spiffbo, you just uh, throw those initials out there, and uh, f- I don't have the address for Mark Lawrence's uh, website where he he's uh, tracking the scores, um, but uh, that would be another way to kind of keep up on what's going on. 
Awesome. Yeah. And we will definitely be uh, tweeting out uh, when your next book comes out. Uh, so we'll, we'll be getting the word out there for that next book as well, because we really enjoyed this one. So we're looking forward to Sin Eater for sure. All right. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so thanks again to Mike. Uh, everybody who's out there, I'm sure you've already listened. I'm sure you've already read Aching God because you've listened to our, our episodes at this point. Um, but get excited for Sin Eater and go check out Spiffbo. Um, I mean, as far as this goes, I'm, I'm pretty astounded that, that Mike has sat here and, you know, been fine with us throwing out these ridiculous hot takes. And, and just, you know, dealing with us where we're acting like dumb nerds. Yeah.